0: yes okay, okay uh, so we're gonna do judges and sorry. no it's dead yeah. so we're gonna do judges and roof so remember yeah, Joshua we left sort of um, sort of not sure which way is this going to go. Could go either way. Uh, chapter 1 of Judges, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Um, so one of the one of the themes of Judges, so there's a few themes, but one of them Seems to be also a promotion of the tribe of Judah and a a sort of jaundiced look at the tribe of Benjamin. Why do you think that would be? When why why would sort of be a positive for Judah and a negative for Benjamin? Can you think of something later that happens in Christ comes from the tribe of Judah. Christ comes from the tribe of Judah? Mm-hmm. Before that, who comes, which king comes from the tribe of Benjamin? Saul. Saul. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. So, uh, and who comes from Judah? David. David. So, it's a little bit of a apologetic mm. for Judah. Okay. So, you can see that when they say, who should go fight, which is the first tribe, the Lord says the first tribe must be Judah. And then... Um, if you look at verse 21 of chapter 1 but the people of benjamin did not drive out the jebusites who lived in jerusalem and actually it's only david who does that later on remember in chronicles we saw that at, at church sorry okay is it working up? Okay apologies so uh just saying that one of the, the themes of judges is is sort of a defense of judah a little bit of a defense just judah is more positive than benjamin uh in fact at the end of judges they they, they sort of want to attack the whole tribe of benjamin and so remember again judges is written later uh it's not written at the time of of judges it's a, it's recorded later and so it seems to be part of it is a little bit of a, a defense of of the Davidic line and a rejection of Saul's line. So we need to remember that we think of David and David's amazing and all of these things in the Davidic line. But imagine living at the time. Even today in South Africa, we know that there's different factions for different, different leaders, even within the ANC. So there were people who supported Saul and saw Saul as as you know the guy Saul's family should be in power Uh, and so the authors are also showing certain things um, uh, defending the families. Ruth is is the same thing Ruth is about defending David's uh, David's right to be to be king but we'll get to that okay so um we see that uh, things are not going well so Uh, if you look from verse 22, there's a decline. Um, So verse 27, we see Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, etc. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. So we are finding Canaanites living amongst the, the Jews. So as we mentioned earlier, that's what we find. Then, when we go to verse 32, so the Asherites lived among the Canaanites. Asherites were were from the tribe of Asher. Now notice the language. It's no longer that the Canaanites are living uh, amongst the Jews. Now the Jews are living amongst the Canaanites. See that? There's a shift. Who's Who's in power now? then verse 34 the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. So we're starting to see a reversal okay, there's this, this decline first there's some Canaanites living amongst the Jews then the Canaanites are sort of dominating and the Jews are living amongst the Canaanites and then the people of God are being pushed out by the, the Canaanites and it's because of their disobedience. And this is really the cycle of um, the, the book of Judges. So it's different ways you can look at it. Different, sorry, different words you can use to, to help you remember it. Uh, it's a cycle of sin, subjugation. Then salvation. What does subjugation mean? To subjugate means to, to bring under, to oppress. oppress. Yeah. Or you could have it as if you like if you prefer ours. Uh, rebellion. <coughs> um, retribution, which is <coughs> consequences or justice, then repentance. Then restoration. And this is the cycle that's repeated um, over and over through the book of Judges. So God's people would sin, and God promised, He said, If you sin and you reject my ways, I'm going to raise up other nations to judge you. Okay? To give you our hiding. And that's what would happen. Other nations would be raised up, and then they would come and conquer and oppress. The people would suffer. They would cry out. Please save us. Have mercy. God would hear their cries. Send a deliverer. They would be rescued. Uh, restored. And then they would be okay for a while. And then they would sin. And Is that not like the sin of uh, our lives? Yes. In, in so many ways. That's why. You know, often we look at people in the Bible and think, oh, how could they be so stupid? Especially when we get to Samson, we're like, oh, what an idiot. Uh, <laughs> but we must be careful um, because we're often looking in a mirror uh, and it explains us, unfortunately. That's why all these things are written so that we will learn. Okay? It's thousands and thousands of years ago, but fundamentally human nature doesn't change. And we we are supposed to learn from this don 't make the same mistakes don 't you know keep this, this cycle going go. um, learn from the Lord and um, okay so the Lord had raised up judges uh, verse sixteen of chapter two then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them um, so we mustn't think of a judge. Uh, in terms of sort of someone with a hammer a gavel you know with a wig on I mustn't think of that they they, uh, one commentator uh, says a better word is warlord which I quite like I think quite a cool name you call it warlord warlords <laughs> <laughs> the book of warlords uh, yeah <laughs> so um, they they used the sword they were deliverers they they um, would go and deliver God's people, uh, and so the first few are good. It's very positive, and then and then it starts to go bad. So the first few judges are uh, chapter three. Othniel is the first guy. This... So deliver them by actually, um, what you call it, going into war. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Judges is very graphic. It's like 2 to 18. Uh, it's, it's very disturbing, especially the end. But it's very important for us. Um, uh, just before we read verse 7, chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they served their gods. That's what's happened. Okay. Verse 7, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Mm-hmm. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan-Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. So you'll see it's all different. God uses different nations. Mesopotamia is up to the north and uh, east, <coughs> so the Fertile Crescent. Mm-hmm. And the people of Israel served Cushan-Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Uh, so he is not, a, not a, uh, an ethnic Jew. He's like Caleb. But he's a believer. He's become an Israelite. Uh, the spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan-Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over him. So the land had rest forty years. Okay, and so uh, Othniel is a good judge; he gets victory, and the land has rest for forty years. But verse twelve, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab. Moab is to the to the north. Against Israel because they had done what was evil, and, um, and so <clears throat> then we have God raises up a deliverer, Ehud, and it's quite a sort of um, interesting story. But if you look at verse fifteen, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Yeah. Uh- So, he kills him, he stabs him, yeah. Just stabs him. So, because he's left handed, it was amazing. The. Okay. (laughs) What we find with judges is that uh, God uses unlikely people as deliverers. Um, So, we will find um, Ehud. The scripture will often mention if someone is left-handed, okay, because it's not common, um, and in many many cultures it's seen as wicked. Okay? so I mean I think even in my family, um, you know, several generations back, it, it was a common thing if a, if a child was left-handed they would hit the child on that mm. hand until they started using their right mm. hand. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's seen as unlucky and mm. there's superstition and all of those things. So you would not expect now for us it's not a okay, left-handed whatever. Yeah. You know the best soccer players are all left-footed, so we, we think oh, <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with that? But in that world, it was also seen as not. Some means not right. Mm. It's not right. It's left. But it's a, <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. Was a, was a bad. Okay. But um, the so God uses a left-handed man. God will use a woman. We'll see with um Deborah and uh, Jail. Uh, God will use a foreigner like Othniel. Okay. Uh, God use God delivers through the weak, the unexpected, and the unremarkable. He uses the sinful. Samson is um, one of the things that one of the aims as well with this especially with the Old Testament is that most of us grow up being taught the Old Testament in a moralistic mm. sanitized way mm. so when you learn about Samson you just like learn he's a strong guy you beat mm. up the baddies and yeah. what a great guy when mm. you go and read the story you're like wait a minute this guy is not a, a, a good guy okay how are you going to teach, you know, kids, like, this guy is... Disobeyed God on everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and yet, we'll see Samson. Okay? God used him, and he was a believer. And in the end, he is like Christ. He, he lays down his life to save his people. Um, so, judges, that's one aspect. That's a positive aspect. But there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on. But you can see that God <coughs> uses unlikely, weak, unremarkable, sinful, unknown. Um, yeah, so Eglon, the um, the king, is uh, Ehud goes to see him and sort of sneaks in. He says, look, I want to give you a secret message. And so he tells him to go away. And then Ehud takes out a knife and stabs him. And then it's quite gruesome. It tells us, you know, he was so fat that it sort of swallowed the knife. And then his <laughs> stomach came out. And, yeah, I'm just gross. Um, so... The, the the Bible doesn't shy away from that, but, um, it's and, and God gives victory, and then we have chapter four Deborah and Barak, and uh, this is where, Jael, the lady kills Sisera. Sisera was the general of the, um, the army that was fighting that was oppressing. Uh, the Israelites. And so he, he, you know, the story, he comes to her tent and she says, come inside. He says, I'm thirsty. She says, it's fine. She makes him some milk, which makes him tired. He goes to sleep. And verse 21 of chapter four, but Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Um, when this is the narrative, but then chapter five, It's written in poetic form, and um, verse twenty-four: "Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite of tent-dwelling woman, most blessed." He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg, and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera; she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. What does that remind us of? The crushing of the serpent. Yeah, see that. So the poetics account is she crushed his head. Uh, which which echoes back. Yeah, she is a Christ figure. She is pointing us to the serpent crusher. Okay, so incredible bravery. I mean, this is the general. I mean, these, these were not softies. These guys, he were hardcore you know, uh, warriors and. She goes and in one blow, she puts it right the way through his head to the ground. Um, so uh, here, but we are seeing pointers to to Christ. Christ is the divine Ooh. warrior, the warlord, who fights for his people and destroys our enemies. Uh, then the Midianites, and we come to Gideon. And Gideon is sort of the turning point. Uh, everyone here has been been good. Uh, when we come to Gideon, it's, he's, he's a much more complex character. Um, he, uh, he's met by this angel, verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. Now remember, what is Gideon doing? He's hiding in the threshing floor because the Midianites would come and raid. So they would have to do their threshing in secret. So hardly something of a mighty man of valour. You know, he's sort of shivering away there in the corner, threshing, the, hoping the Midianites don't come. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, mighty man of valour, the Lord is with us. And he says, well, where is he? Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds? We heard about this and what he did and how he delivered us, but where is he? So he says, you know, where is he? Um, and, um, Uh, but if you go down to verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. So where is the Lord? In their backyard, they Mm -hmm. built an altar to Baal. Like, Where do they expect the Lord to be if they're going to worship Baal? Now, the interesting thing with this is um it's not that the Lord has gone it's that the Lord is fighting against them, okay So the Lord has never just gone. He's either you know he's either with us or against us, okay? he's either, and, and I'm not taking that in the Joshua sense like he's on our side or something, but either he is looking after His children, or else if we continue in rebellion and sin, He is going to be against us. So um, he's always at work. So when 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 they say, "Well, where's the Lord?" Well, he's actually working with the Midianites to oppress the Israelites because they don't listen, um, and he's or the other tribe, the other tribes that he raises up. But Gideon does this, and you know he has all these. He, he's still he's, you know, he needs a sign and another sign and another sign, and eventually does it, and then he has to raise up an army, and it's it's quite something how God reduces the number. To show that it's, it's him who gets victory. But he wins these great victories. And uh, the, the people are liberated. And so they come to him in chapter 8 verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon. Rule over us you and your son and your grandson also. For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. So they basically ask Gideon to become their king. Set up a dynasty. You you become our ruler, you and then your son and your grandson, you rule over us. And then uh, Gideon says, verse 23, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. It seems fantastic answer. You know, that's the right answer. God is the one who is going to rule over us. But then you keep reading. Um, and you see that. Verse 29, Jeroboam, that's his name, his other name, because he, he he destroyed the altar of Baal. The son of Jeroboam went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. That sounds like he's living like a king, huh? Eh? And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Okay. And this. You mentioned that he was the son of the king. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of, um, um, so I think when we did Abraham, it was just some of the. So we say Abba. So I's father, uh, Melchizedek. Remember, Melech is king. So Melech is king, and this means, my father, the king. So he says, "No, I won't be king, but I'll name my son, my father, the king." <laughs> okay. So he, he says no, I won't do it. But functionally, he does do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he starts to to he lives as though he is a king. Uh, he so abuses his power. Yeah, it went to his head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though said it. Didn't say it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, I mean, I'm sure we can all think in our own lives how we, we also are inconsistent like that. Well, I won't do that, but then in practice, we right. we. South Indian doesn't really have like a redemption. No, he's a believer. He's he's mentioned okay. in Hebrews eleven. these are believers. Okay. He's a believer but he has bought, like he's got a, like, a ball, what's it a a throne to Baal in his father's That he used to, yeah. He used to. He, he broke it down. Yeah, yeah, no, but even before then, um God still chose to deliver them even though they still were practicing yeah. all of these things. Well even when he delivered them out of Egypt they were worshipping false gods. So God is so gracious um uh, with our, with our uh, but there's always consequences they always work things towards his good yeah this of of nation? Our, uh, so he, for, he works for our good and for his glory um sorry, sorry you? so it's a it's it yeah this is what's so wonderful when you read hebrews you think these guys just walked on water mm-hmm. hebrews 11 you think you know he talks about Hebrew mighty men Hebrew of faith, faith. Yeah. and Samson and, and you think, wow that I would argue is seeing them through Christ. So so in in Christ we are perfect. We have the righteousness of Christ. Uh, the Father doesn't look at his children and say, oh, you're so useless and rubbish, but I'll just have you anyway. He he loves us as though he as he loves his own son and we are accepted in the beloved. In reality, though, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. So there's this disconnect between our position and our practice. And holiness or sanctification is trying to get those two closer together. Um, but even at the end of our life, you know, it's still a million miles apart. But but the aim is to get it as close as possible. But um, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, like we've done in Chronicles. When you read Kings you know David's really rubbish and then Chronicles it's a different picture it's the same person right. but okay so um uh, there's other 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 judges um Okay, let me, let me just spend some time on Samson because he's, he's quite fascinating. So he's, he's born. And um, um, now it's one of those stories where the wife is barren. So another one, supernatural births. So pointing us to Christ. But there's this, this uh, vow of the Nazarite, which meant, and there were several things to the vow of the Nazarite. Um, <coughs> They were not to drink wine, they were not to cut their hair, and they weren't t- to touch anything dead. Mm. Okay. Um, did he get his hair cut? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did he touch something dead? Lion's Lion's Car- carcass. carcass. We're not told outright that he drank wine, but the... the um. Chapter 16, when he sees Delilah, verse 4, says, After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Sorek means grapes, and Delilah can mean little vessel, like drinking vessel. So I think there's enough point. I mean, he did everything else wrong, like <laughs> that, he, that he also drank wine. Um, okay. So he broke every every part of the Nazarite vow. Uh, he... he, he um, He did some amazing things. But often it's after he had been with prostitutes. Like he's been with prostitutes and then he goes and like rips down the the gates of the city. Uh, So you can't say to Sam... You can't teach Samson like a moral story. Children, be like Samson. It's not... Mm -hmm. It's not not like Samson. Yeah. So how does it... What is it there for? Well, it shows us God's grace. Okay. Um, And then it points us to Christ because ultimately... Uh, Samson uh, delivers delivers Israel by dying. Okay, and remember he puts his arms out. Even even the, the the shape is similar to the crucifixion. Pushes out the the pillars, and he kills more people in his death than in his whole life. Okay, so these stories are ultimately there to point us to to Christ. Um, then we come to the sort of the end of Judges, and this is becomes where it becomes very disturbing. <coughs> um, we we uh we now find that the children of Israel are actually now worse than the pagans. So we have this Micah and the Levite and um We are told in verse 6, in those days there was, this is chapter 17, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Chapter 18, verse 1, in those days there was no king in Israel. Um, chapter 19, verse 1, in those days there was no king in Israel. And so uh, there's several, or well, two interpretations of that. Um, the one is that, this book is showing us well the need for the monarchy we need a king who can 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 bring things together uh, another view is that this is written during the time of the monarchy during the bad kings and people were saying if only we didn't have these bad kings things would be better mm-hmm. and the book of judges shows it doesn't matter who's in control that's not the pro- the, the problem is our hearts it okay. Doesn't matter your political system. Ultimately, uh, it's the human heart. Okay, that's it's it's uh, that's our problem. There there was a a um a Christian. Uh, uh, I think it's I think it's Malcolm Mugridge. I think it was him, a Christian journalist. He's he's passed away. But somebody wrote in London in the newspaper wrote an article. You know what's wrong? What's wrong with the world? And he wrote he wrote back in. Just he just said, I am. What's wrong with the world? I am okay, and that's the truth. It's it's our hearts. It's not whether we have kings or judges or that. Or the human problem is our sin, our hearts. That is what is wrong. So it's not that it's not to say oh we can fix, we can help in certain problems with poverty and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But the fundamental problem of sin and rebellion, only God can can deal with that. But here there are these horrible stories. We have a priest, a Levite, who is really now a priest for hire. He's willing to do anything. So the people who are most godly, and my my Old Testament lecturer actually um, argues that he's he's uh, um, if you look at verse thirty, and the people of Dan set up the the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan the son of Gershom, son of Moses and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Verse 3, if you go back to verse 3 of chapter 18, when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. He actually argued that this was a well-known Levite who was a descendant of Moses. That's how everyone knew his, his name, and it even says that he was a descendant of the son of Moses. And the son of Moses has become so, so corrupt. And then when we come to chapter 19, there's a Levite who has a concubine and uh, on his way home, he, it's, he, doesn't, he doesn't get there. So he stops, he spends a night at um, uh, Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And <coughs> he, it, it's, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah, that story, with Lot. Mm. He gives his concubine to the men of the city and they actually rape her to death. And he takes her body and cuts it up into 12 pieces and sends the pieces to each tribe of Israel to say, look at the shame of, of Israel. And then the people come up and they are full of anger and they attack the Benjaminites.
1: It's <laughs> a story
0: because also he left late. So that's also another reason why they couldn't, you know, find a place to stay, right? So you left late and you put her in danger, knowing... I'm but it sure shouldn't did. have been like that. Remember, this is Israel. It's supposed to be safe. There should have been but hospitality and... That wasn't safe, right? It's a horrible story. Rachel no, 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 no. Every, everything is... Yeah, Everything's wrong. But that, that's the point. It's to show God's people have become worse than pagans. They become like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what it's showing us here. Mm. It's not even safe... ...for people to travel... So was it... ...was it just... ...the tribe of Benjamin... ...or was it... ...all the tribes? Uh... ...well it's not very good... ...because they go and... ...um... ...um... ...they... ...um... ...they... ...they kill a whole lot of them... ...I mean it's a... ...it's a... ...it's a bloody war... ...there's thousands of people... ...that are killed... ...um... And then they'd made a commitment, not one of our daughters will be will marry any of these men, so then they feel sad for the tribe of Benjamin they're like, "Well, now they don't have any wives. Where are we going to get women They go and kidnap women so the whole uh, it's a it's a total nightmare um the the This is what Israel has become okay, and that's how it ends. so the people of God have become worse <clears throat> than than unbelievers and we'll see that as well with even at the time of David um, and that's that's uh, always a terrible thing when unbelievers behave worse than the world um, sorry when believers behave worse than the world but then we come to the book of Ruth so it's not all doom and gloom Ruth is also during the period of the judges chapter 1 verse 1 in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land um, now the Lord stops the famine later on. But obviously, who sent the famine? The Lord. Uh, and remember, why did God send famine? What, was, what does Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy tell us? If you don't obey me, you're there's going to be famines and pestilences. It's because of their sin. God had sent a famine. And so, <clears throat> um, Elimelech and his wife Naomi... And their sons Melan and Kilion, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They go down to to Moab. Okay, so they leave the Promised Land and they go to to Moab. Where are they from? From Bethlehem and Judah. Who comes from there? Jesus. Jesus, but before that, David. David. Okay, so this would be anyone who hears this. It's like saying. Um, Charles from London and the house of Tudor okay it it's the royal connotation everyone when you read this from Bethlehem in Judah Uh, this is this is a reminder of David everyone understood this is this is the royal home this is where where the royal line comes from but they're not trusting God they're under the judgment of God they go to Moab and while they're there everything goes bad. Everyone dies and Naomi's left alone and with her two daughter in laws, Orpah and Ruth. She's she uh hears that the famine has ended and she she goes back to Israel. The two daughters in law follow her, but she says, No, don't come with me, stay there. Not very good, like <laughs> she she uh she should have said come with and serve the true and living God but she sort of sends him back but Ruth says no I'm not going to go back Orpah goes back and that's the last we hear of her She, she, she's not faithful to the Lord but Ruth says no your your God will be my God okay and so she's faithful and they return but they return in poverty um, the land was not left to women so Elimelech's land remember we spoke about the land was meant to stay so, even if you lost it through debt or something, at the year of Jubilee, you'd get it back. Um, so now Elimelech is dead. She has nowhere to go. Uh, Ruth has nowhere to go. Ruth's position changes because she, she then calls Ruth her daughter, meaning she's a true believer. She's, she's no longer an outsider, a Moabite. She's become a, a believer. Um, and Naomi, this is, so this is what Waltke says very. Uh, Very interesting. He says, Contrary to popular opinion, the book of Ruth is not a romantic love story, but a story of unselfish and sacrificial love within a family that can survive in no other way. Okay, so... uh, You'll see that everything that people do in the book of Ruth is out out of sacrificial love for the good of others. So... uh, Ruth... Sacrifices to care for Naomi. She is the one who goes in, um, gets the gleanings in the field. Okay, so she goes, remember the laws for the poor were, when you harvest, you just do the first run. Whatever is left behind, you leave. You leave for the widows and the vulnerable. Uh, they, they then can come and glean and they can take that for themselves. That's how they survive. So she goes and... Uh, the scripture says this, by chance, it's in the field of Boaz. Okay? So it puts it there. Obviously, you know, God is in control. It's God's providence. But it was not a decision that she had made, I'm going to go to Boaz. When she comes back to Naomi, because Boaz meets her and is kind to her and says, don't, don't chase her away. Because of course, the tension would be, she's a Moabitess. Let's get rid of her. Um, You know, there would be that uh, racial Tension, so she would. They would want to sort of push her away, and he says no, protect her. Um. Now, uh, I think quite insightfully, some of the commentators point out that Boaz might well have been thinking of his sort of great great grandmother, who was his great 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 grandmother. We've spoken about her already. Rahab. Rahab. So Rahab, he he came from, an outside, Mm. and. uh, but he cares for her, he, he's honourable to her. She goes back home, she says to Naomi. Naomi says, Where did you where did you glean today? She said, No, in Boaz's field. She says, Boaz, he's he's family of ours. Okay. Um, and she says, I want you to go to him. And um, it's 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 quite a fascinating passage because she says, like, I want you to to clean yourself and wash yourself and put some perfume on, and then you go to him on the threshing floor. Very countercultural, um, and then I want you to sort of lie at his feet and use. Remember, they wore like those um, long dresses type thing. Uh, take some of his garment and cover yourself, lie at his feet. Uh, very, very, um, as I said, countercultural, very forward of her, basically saying she's pushing him to marry her. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, he wakes up and he sees her and, and he then says, wow, you're, this act of kindness is better than the previous one. You have chosen me even though I'm not the youngest. So she doesn't choose based on romance. She chooses because in order to save Elimelech's family, there needs to be a kinsman redeemer. Okay? There needs to be someone who comes and buys the land back and provides for Naomi and Ruth. Does that make sense? So he says to her, this act of kindness, he realizes you could have chosen younger men, whether rich or poor, but you chose me. Um he and the word is used throughout is chesed. It means covenant faithfulness, love, covenant or steadfast love. Uh, and so the whole story is about love based on the community, that there's something bigger than my, you know, my wants. That is there is something bigger. There is love for others, and the the salvation. That's why what Walkie says, within a family that can survive in no other way, and that's the purest form of love. Okay, um, that's why in the church we're to love one another, even if we don't. You know, often we don't like one another. There's differences, and we clash, and there's friction, but we we sacrifice because to 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 save one another to preserve one another preserve God's people uh, we love and sacrifice and she does that um, but there's actually another there's a closer redeemer there's a, so the law said if someone like Naomi was in a position like this where her husband dies she has nothing that this nearer redeemer had an obligation to buy the land back and then if there was a, um, uh, a, a wife to marry her and raise up descendants, it was called, called the Leverett Law, okay? Um, I know it sounds very weird to us, but uh, it was actually gracious of God because, in, remember, in those cultures, that's the only way you could survive is if you had a husband and you had children, okay? because there was no welfare there was no medical aid there was no when you were old life insurance yeah there's no life insurance or um, you needed children to look after you mm-hmm. okay so um it was a, it was a kindness of god to say well if your brother dies you marry you take that lady and you raise up children so that she can be cared for and has a future um so they come to this guy and his name's not even mentioned because he's, when he hears about the land, he's happy to do that. And then, then uh, Boaz says, but then you also have to marry Ruth. And, and she's a Moabites. And then he says, no, I can't do that. But Boaz does that. He is willing to buy the land and to marry a Moabites. And in doing that, he redeems Naomi and Ruth. He saves both of them. Uh, She has a child and the child is is sort of given to to Naomi almost as though she has a child um, and and she is then cared for. And then we find at the end, verse 18 of chapter 4, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon Salmon fathered Boaz Boaz is number 7 in the in this line of 10 number 7 is a perfect number Boaz fathered Obed Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David so just a <coughs> clarification Was Boaz again like exactly um, was he like a ruler or like a baron sort of? No, no. He was he was a Jew who had land because remember oh. they were given inheritance. They were given each tribe was given land, and then each person was given land. But he was, I think, he was fairly wealthy. He was, oh, okay. um, but he wasn't anything. Mm. his really didn't have any wives yet. Well, we don't know if but maybe he did. Maybe he did. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so, but he he then cares for her. And in doing that, he redeems her and redeems the whole family. Raises up children to Elimelech, um, and so it's a it's a story of 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 chesed of of steadfast love. Okay. Um, now, some have said that Boaz is definitely a type of Christ because Boaz redeems. Uh, he redeems Ruth and even Naomi. Others have said that in in the two you actually see. The, the Jewish people of God in Naomi. She was a Jew. And then in Ruth, you see the Gentile people of God. And that it's through Ruth as well that, that Naomi... Because remember, things are badly for Naomi. She says, call me Mara, which means bitterness. But through Ruth, she, she becomes Naomi again. I think it means pleasantness. And so again, the Gentile church is also there to... To provoke the Jewish people to envy and then to restoration with with God. Um, so I, I don't know much if you want to take that or not. Certainly, Boaz is a is a type of Christ, and he delivers. And then from that line comes David. Now, probably people were saying David. David has a Moabite in his bloodline. You know, how can he be? Um, but this shows the story and how she is a true believer. And brought into the people of God, and so it's also a, a defence of David's legitimacy as as king. Okay, but our time has gone over, so let me close this in prayer. Okay, <coughs> Father, thank you for this time in Your Word. Um, just please continue to minister to us, keep everyone safe who's travelling, and thank you for loving us and being our kinsman redeemer, our, our true Boaz. Amen.